Welcome to Glass Talk, Canada's podcast for the architectural glass industry. Now here's your host, Patrick Flannery. Okay, hi everybody. It's uh, Pat Flannery from Glass Canada Magazine, uh, back at you on Glass Talk. And uh, today I've got uh, Kelly Alvarez-Doran with us uh, from HALF. Uh, Kelly is going to explain what uh, what half is and uh, and who he is and, and where he comes from and his background in the industry for us. Kelly, how are you doing today? Very good. Thank you, Patrick. So I've got Kelly on today to uh, uh, talk about some uh, some stuff that came up at uh, at Facade Plus that uh, obviously was was very interesting to me and I think to us in the industry. Um, uh, there's the, the of course the embodied carbon uh, discussion. Uh, uh, rolls on as 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 governments are looking more and more uh, uh, closely at bringing in uh, various uh, various restrictions and regulations and reporting requirements. Uh, all of this has been uh, has been forecasted for upcoming code changes, um, and uh, and and so it's it's sort of tightening everyone's interest on the topic. And uh, and and of course we've we've had a lot of discussion here, and and we're going to continue to have that discussion. And and Kelly really impressed with uh, a, a lot of information, uh, and uh, and some nice charts and things at uh, at Facade Plus, and uh, and I think uh, I think it was a uh, I think I wanted to get him on here and uh, and address really uh, our side of it, the glass and aluminum uh, side of it on the on on facades. Uh, not that everyone is is building ex exclusively with aluminum, but uh, that you know that that's still our biggest thing, of course. And uh, and and I I think Kelly has has going to have lots of great insights for us on on those topics as they relate to embodied carbon. But before we get into all that, Kelly, please tell the good listeners uh, 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 who you are and uh, what uh, half is all about, and uh, and 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 where you come from on these topics. Yeah, sure. So I guess uh, you know, talking about windows, I'm I'm originally from Winnipeg. Uh, my family's business was stained glass windows, so that's uh, kind of connection to to glazing and and uh, you know connected through it. I guess my whole life, but uh, you know I'm a trained as an architect. I I studied uh, both at the University of Manitoba and did my graduate degree at the University of Toronto. Um, after graduating, I first worked uh, uh, for a, a firm based in Toronto in the resource development sector. So I was working on mine sites in Canada and, and all over the world, um, ranging from the oil sands in Alberta to zinc and copper mines uh, in Zambia and Panama and a bauxite mine in Guinea. Um, and uh, and following that, found my way to a practice called Mass Design Group and led the practices office in Rwanda for the better part of five years, um, you know, designing and building hospitals, universities, housing across uh, across East Africa. And uh, after that, found my way back to now I live in London in the UK, um, uh, where uh, my family's uh, my wife's job brought us back to. And um, and from there, I think living in London and seeing what was happening in in UK and Europe more broadly around policy as it as it relates to things like embodied carbon, um, uh, seeing that happening pretty quickly, and then looking back across uh, to what was happening in Canada, I saw, you know, certainly um, we were la we were we were you know we were behind um, in a basic understanding and certainly pol policy development. So for the past four years, uh, I I've been teaching at the University of Toronto. Um, and I approached the University of Toronto to basically start help start this conversation in the context of of of, of Canada and Southern Ontario specifically, 
you know, based, um, the idea of how do we how do we reduce the embodied carbon of our buildings? Um, so that has led to the they started called the Half Research Studio, where we've been doing case studies of buildings in in the city to develop uh, an understanding of what our emissions currently are and where in the building those hotspots are and, and where you know mitigation is can happen. Uh, that work then has led to policy development with the city of Toronto. So I co-authored the recently passed embodied carbon uh, legislation or, or sorry uh, requirements for the Toronto Green Standards. Um, and I'm now uh, you know basically you know talking to people about it pretty regularly. I think it's becoming increasingly on our radar. We understand the impacts that buildings have. Um, on climate in in Toronto, buildings account for 60% of the city's emissions, and of that, new constructions roughly 20%. Um, given the rate of construction and the materials we use, that's 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 what's uh, driven out of that. And so, organically, um, recently, I formed a company called Half Climate Design to help uh, you know to work with um, with uh, architects, engineers, builders, manufacturers. To help figure out how and where in buildings we can find those reductions because it's the embodied carbon of a project is will eclipse easily the operational emissions of, of projects right now in Ontario. So it's really where both our agency and our, our responsibility lays. And, and a big part of that is envelopes, which is, you know, I think we met at Facades Plus. Um, you know, the envelopes and glazing and the systems that that we you know we see across uh, across our building types you know it's not kind of within residential commercial all all types and all sizes i think that that glazing uh represents quite often the largest um the, the biggest hot spots from from certainly on an envelope side you know structure a building structure is you know tends to be the majority of upfront emissions but you know right behind that are, are envelopes and then I think it's critical to not just think about operational or embodied. It's operational and embodied. It's these two things together. Um, when you when you see them together, we would refer to that as whole life carbon. Um, and understand that over time, you know, these two emissions kind of uh, join to form one profile. And that when you're thinking about envelopes, things like durability and replacement, uh, disassembly service life, these are all pretty critical things to consider um, over the life of, of a building. Anyway, so that's uh, that's a bit of who I am and, and uh, how, how I'm coming to this conversation. Awesome. And uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to delve deeper into, in, into a lot of that. I, I, I remember it's, it's, it's amazing how fast this issue has, has, has entered the radar screen. It, it, it seems like it only takes uh, one statement by the code council in Canada to, uh, to get everybody's attention focused. I remember, um, Oh Lord! It must have been four or five years ago at uh, at uh, my my trade show uh, Top Glass. Uh, uh, Helen Sanders, uh, uh, who is uh, does does a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, LCA and 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 PCR work for uh, uh, the the various associations she's part of, uh, uh, did a talk there for me on uh, on uh, embodied carbon and life cycle analysis. But this was again, you know, four or five years ago. And uh, and and as to start her talk, she she asked the room full of glazing contractors, uh, who who here has been asked for an LCA? And uh, you know, not a single, not 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 a single hand goes up, right? And I and I and I knew yeah. right. And I said, well, uh, I guess we're out ahead of it at least. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I've got a similar story. I mean, the first time I heard the word embodied carbon was seven years ago. It wasn't part of my education. 
it was on our project that we did in Congo, a school, um, the school that we built in the middle of the forest. And it was the first time we as an organization looked at it. We, we teamed up with some researchers at MIT and we discovered that the building's you know, footprint was 128th that of the global average school. And that for me was like, what, what are these two words? And wow, that's, <laughs> I mean, 128th of the average school, that's incredible. But that makes me think how carbon intensive is the school that I went to, right? Right. Um, and it, it was a real aha wake up moment for myself. Uh, and then I, I subsequently went back to look at, you know, the work I had done. And, and I use, uh, you know, I present, I use my cottage that uh, designed and built for my now in-laws up in Halliburton. Um, and I went back and, and did a kind of post-mortem on it from the embodied carbon perspective. And it was shocking. It was like the this cottage was 92 tons of carbon. And the majority of that was in the concrete foundation. Um, you know, for this uh, summer home. And uh, um, and beyond that, got, got thinking about, I think mean, the thing, but practicing in Rwanda and the key lessons that I, I immediately got there, one relates to a window, actually, it's kind of pertinent to this discussion. You know, at, I think trained as an architect in, in Canada and kind of Western modalities, you'd be like, draw a big rectangle, go to your catalog, figure out the right, you know, um, model number and put that in your drawing and, you know, it'll show up and it's in the building. That's what I did at my cottage. Uh, and I, I found myself drawing big rectangles uh, for this hospital, uh, my first project there. And the uh, construction manager came back and he's like, Kelly, like, what are you doing? How, where, how do you think we're gonna do this? I'm like, what, what do you mean, Bruce? These, these, these windows are incredibly expensive. Uh, moreover, um, they're drawing a size of glass that needs to be tempered. I'm like, okay. He's like, so there's basically means we're going to have to source it overseas. It's going to come from Dubai or India. The frames are going to have to be probably aluminum. That's also going to come from Dubai or India. I'm like, okay. And then he's like, but the problem is it's going to come on a boat and Rwanda has an 18% import tax. So it's cost prohibitive. And then lastly, he said, and you've driven on the road to the project site before. I'm like, yes. He's like, do you think the glass is going to break along that road? I'm like, that's a good point. So, you know, I, I asked him, Bruce, like, what do you suggest? He's like, well, let's let's source smaller pieces of glass um, from Kenya, from Nairobi, where they can be floated. They're not going to be tempered. Uh, and let's use the frames. Let's build steel frames on site from locally recycled steel. And we'll make the windows in the build at site so that if there's breakage along the way, it's not going to hold up construction. And we'll account for that. And I'm like, all right, that sounds good. And it's the first time as an architect I actually ever drew a window. Like, you know, it wasn't just a dumb rectangle. It was completely figured out. Um, you know, the size of the openings, the frame. And all of those, all of that, that was the kind of first key lesson of of like working in a place uh, that the constraints are that much greater, where you had to really think about the provenance of where something came from and who can make it, right? Hmm. Um, and then coming back to the, the cottage, I... I then this, you know, like you said, have you ever done an LCA? I approached my friend John Swatsky, who uh, who works at Lowen Windows in Steinbach. Um, I don't know if they're a member of your association here, but you know, as the as a patriotic Manitoban, I wanted nice wood frame windows for the cottage. Not a boy. And 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 uh, and so I, I said, John, you know, where did do you guys have an EPD? Do you have you know do you have the environmental product declaration, the information I'd need? to do the assessment. He's like, no, we don't have one. I'm like, okay, well, can you tell me what's in the window, right? So we went away and he came back two weeks later and he 
talked to his supply chain guys and he gave me like the detailed list of like the window. And it was really fascinating because much like the windows at this hospital in Rwanda, like the windows in my cottage, the, the large glass had been floated in Missouri, tempered in Collingwood, then put into the unit in Manitoba and then shipped back to Halliburton. So like that piece of glass has kind of gone back and forth across the continent a couple of times. Um, you know, the wood was either coming from Oregon or BC, the spacers somewhere in China, the hardware, Europe, um, you know, that these windows, you know, I was really thinking I was making these like made in Manitoba windows, but they're fabricated in Manitoba. You know, all the other materials come from, you know, far flung places and, you know, the wood could be quite easily tracked. The glass could be easily tracked, but the metals are not easily tracked. Like metals as a global commodity, really hard to figure out uh, where that metal's coming from necessarily, which I think is probably going to be uh, some conversation points here. Go on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That Those are good stories. I, I, I'm going to get you on. We'll do a whole other podcast on stories from building in in Africa. Because right. that's that's that 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 sounds like that sounds like quite an that sounds like quite an experience. But uh, yeah, exactly. The, uh, the 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 stuff comes from all over. There's a there's there's going to have to be a paradigm shift, I think, in thinking uh, uh, about a lot of these things for 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 a lot of people. I'm 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 already starting to see uh, uh, some of the edges of that. But it, let's 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 do the quick. Um, you know what? I'm going to skip. It. Everyone knows what embodied carbon is. I, I mean, I mean, I, I think we've, I think we've had that discussion now uh, yeah. uh, enough. I've, I've already done one podcast this year about it, where we got into the, 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 the sort of the general concept. So everybody knows this is, this is the, the calculation of the carbon that goes into building, transporting, maintaining, and throwing out the, the, the material as distinct from the operational carbon that the building uh, uh, emits. But by by using energy, basically, um, that's that's yeah. anyways, whatever. That's that's the simple that's the simple recap. I think everybody knows that we don't need to revisit that a lot. Um, so let's let's go right to um, um, the part that uh, that that perked my ears up at um, at Facade Plus uh, was the uh, I'm going to call it the, uh, the 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 bad news, the scary news, something like that about uh about where how glass and aluminum rank as uh as as building materials uh when it comes to embodied carbon calculations what are what what are what are you doing to your the calculation of the emissions to create your building when when glass and aluminum are used as building materials is there is there a simple answer to that kelly yeah so i think what you know what i presented the facades plus was you know looking at looking at facades i you know my my kind of tongue in cheek was you know, you eat less meat, use less metal uh, as the way to address, you know, climate change. And so that 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 analogy with food, I showed the the, the pyramid of building materials that the Royal Danish Academy put together. Mm -hmm. That's basically, a, you know, kind of basic a, t a take on the food pyramid where, you know, your vegetables are the base. Those are the healthy kind of low carbon things, the plant based diet. Right. Uh, in buildings, that's things like wood and cellulose and wood fiber, more or less renewable materials are are, are the plant-based diet of buildings. Um, and at the top of the pyramid are metals, right? And at the very top of that is aluminum. Aluminum, uh, aluminum has the highest embodied carbon of all materials uh, globally. Um, that's a fact. And, and it has to do with how it's made. And so, you know, having been on a mine site, I can, I am yeah, bauxite mine site. Yeah. Like, you know, right now, so if you're, if you're sourcing, uh, 
uh, aluminum ore in Canada. More than half of that ore is currently being uh, extracted in Guinea in Western Africa, by and large by Canadian owned mining companies. Um, so, you know, 50% of your aluminum is coming from Guinea. Uh, and then for every, you know, pound or, or kilogram of aluminum in a, in a mullion or a frame, there are four to five pounds or kilograms of bauxite residuals on a mine site in Guinea, right? So that basically um, all the all the things that aren't pure aluminum that end up in a in a tailings pond or a dump uh, due to the processing that sits behind in Guinea. That's the weight of that frame, right? And so it's a very lightweight metal on your project site. It's a very heavy weight metal when you factor in the total uh, weight of mass of material required to make it. And then the next step, you know, uh, through the refinery and is all the smelting. So aluminum's got an incredibly high temperature and energy intensive process uh, to then get it to the next stages through, you know, extrusion to ultimately the arriving at a fabricator. Um, you know, I think that's exciting to see places like Quebec and, and Iceland, you know, where a lot of that uh, processing is happening on much lower carbon electrical grids. That's a positive. But the reality is like the majority of, uh, of, of the smelting still in the world, a lot of it's happening in China, even for the stuff that's working in Canadian projects, right? So that process then is heavily coal dependent and uh, heavily polluting and carbon intensive. And so um, that that's the raw ore, right? I think that's what makes aluminum the top of the food chain. And it's not that dissimilar from stainless steel, from copper, from other metals, because Metal mining is incredibly energy intensive, and that's why it was a really scarcely used material uh, up until, you know, the last century. Um, you saw very little metal in windows at all, historically, and windows were very small, historically, because both glass and metal were incredibly energy intensive to produce, right? And so we're in a paradigm where that energy is readily available and cheap, but obviously is also warming the globe. So I think that this is um, this is a real problem. And uh, that metals part, I mean, what what is kind of the analogy, you know, I would say is that you know aluminum is the wagyu beef of architecture, uh, and and you can eat it's it's okay to have a nice steak, you know, once a month or so, but we eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and we even have it for like you know an afternoon snack right now architecturally. And so we've we've ought to we have to figure out how to wean ourselves off of the volume uh, of of it in in our buildings, um, and I think that's a that's a challenge for for everybody involved. I think we've gotten to this point, you know, um, all the you know all of good intentions where we are, um, but recognizing where we are now, what does it mean to really reduce? Uh, if I said we used have to use half the aluminum we are today, how do we go about doing that? I mean, that's the kind of, that's the, that's the, the challenge. Um, and I think that there's a lot of pathways out of it that are exciting uh, for, for glaziers, for the glass manufacturing, you know, uh, industry uh, and uh, for manufacturing more widely in Canada. And we can get into that. Yeah. I'm going to get to the mitigation uh, uh, ideas later. Yep. Um, the, um, Talk to me about glass. Uh, well, we 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 know about the energy intensity of 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 of, of float glass production. Uh, yep. Tell me a bit about that, though. What's how, how's that compare to 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 aluminum and to other construction materials? I mean, glass is in the middle of the food pyramid. You know, it's okay. like uh, dairy, um, relatively speaking. <laughs> so it's not nearly as high as embodied carbon. Uh, 
I think the main challenge with glass is there's a finite amount of sand in the world. Um, you know, we're not, I think we got to think about, you know, it as a fixed kind of, there's a certain amount we can make every year and, and where is it best applied? Uh, and, and, and how can, it's also infinitely recyclable uh, as long as we're not doing things to it that would prohibit that, right? Through the additions of like films and chemicals. Mm -hmm. So I think see glass for uh, for the resource it is, uh, the relatively low carbon resource that it is, but one that's finite, right? Like all like all resources on Earth. And if we saw it that way and really always thought about ensuring that that piece could be uh, turned into something else, um, you know, when when that building's life ends or the the life of its frame expires i think that would that would be super beneficial i think the other part to the finite discussion is and the whole life carbon that i brought up at facades plus and i think i shared patrick with you a study is that i think there's a lot of push towards say um triple panes and and additional you know using more and more glass to reduce to to improve the the thermal performance of a window uh, and seeing this in the context of a building that's completely clad in glass, like a kind of contemporary, you know, office building. I'll point to the Ontario courthouse recently. I don't know who, who, uh, you know, I have no idea what manufacturer provided to that building, but, you know, it's entirely glass covered. Now, you know, glass of the materials and, and glazing uh, as a thermally uh, responsive um, system you know, it's very low. Like glass has got a really poor R value. There's no getting around that compared to, you know, solid insulated walls. Um, and I think that uh, I, I would, my, my kind of advice to architects and, or others that are looking how to reduce the embodied carbon of your facade would be like, reduce your window to wall ratio, use less windows. We don't need 100% windows. We don't need floor to ceiling windows. If you look at the buildings from 100 years ago, none of them had that. You know, the most, I think so many clues of where we need to go exist in buildings like the, you know, Royal York Hotel. Um, that had a lot of stone on the outside, very low carbon material, and had window to wall ratios of probably 30%, right? Um, even the old office buildings down on Bay Street, they their window to wall ratio is probably 30, 40% maximum. And yet we're building kind of 100% window to wall ratio uh, when you even, if you if you factor in spandrel systems, right? From a glass perspective. So what, you know, that's what's one thing that would improve the overall thermal performance of the overall facade. And also, I think that the the additional things like triple pane glazing and certain frames, you're actually compounding the problem. You're adding, you're increasing embodied carbon, uh, and the time value trade off, uh, depending on what province you're in and your energy source of your building, you might actually be emitting more unintentionally uh, because you're using more aluminum, more glass, more spacers, right? And so this is why whole life carbon is critical. Is seeing the whole problem and not just solving for one or the other. Uh, and so I think, you know, what we've seen, you know, looking at a building in Victoria and British Columbia is that extra pane of glass is actually, you know, doing more harm than good um, in, in certain frame types. And I think this is just because for the last few decades, we've been completely focused on operational energy and have been blind to embodied carbon. And now that we're not, it really requires us to rethink, I think the, the paradigm that we've been practicing under um, and certainly a lot of the assumptions we've been making. Um, and on that, like, I think it's critical. If you're looking at a building, you understand first what province does it sit in? What, what's its energy source? So if you've got electric heating and cooling, you know, if you're in Ontario, 
you're for every kilowatt hour, uh, you know, about 57 uh, grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour. If you're in Alberta, it's about 10 times that. Yeah. So, you know, the argument for a triple pane window in Alberta is therefore 10 times greater, right? Um, and I think province to province and across the world, like this, understanding the grid you sit on is pretty critical. Also, the mechanical systems in your building, like what are they based on? Um, uh, what what what's the shading strategy of a project? It's 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 about time we start reintroducing external shades and awnings, the kind of things again. If you look at old photos of like the King Edward Hotel in Toronto had awnings on it at one point, right? Mm -hmm. um, back before we could, you know, air condition ourselves out of uh, any problem. Uh, you know, this I think these thinking about the future of 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 glazing and fenestration and facades. Um, again, I think that the facades need to look much more like the ones that from a hundred years ago than the ones from 10 years ago. That is, that, 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 that is probably the direction for sure. And, and if we can get, uh, uh, Canadians and North Americans generally to, uh, uh, aesthetically accept shading, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be, uh, we'll, we'll be, we'll be probably heading in the right direction because that's, I mean, every conference I've been at, uh, uh, you know, the, the, there's this constant conflict with solar heat gain versus versus insulation, and and shading can solve a lot of that because you can put it where it's needed and not where it's not, and yep. uh, and and you know, uh, and th this and it's uh, it's interesting to me, like like th th this has been the thing, right? I I mean, this this there's been a tension set up at least in our regulatory systems. Uh, uh, between the the embodied carbon and the and the and the and the operational carbon, because we've ignored the embodied carbon for 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 yeah. forty years, uh, yeah. right? And 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 so this this massive effort has been made by uh, by 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 my industry, by 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 the, the 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 glass and metal industry, and on the window and door side, the the PVC side, the residential side, uh, the wood side. Uh, well, wood is small, but you know what I mean. Um, that 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 side of it, massive efforts made, right? To 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 really crank up the 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 thermal insulation. You have you have Vancouver and BC bringing in uh, some of the strictest uh, uh, thermal requirements in the country, uh, while while sitting in the warmest part of the country. Um, and 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 and, and yeah, now, now it's now it's oh. You know, if you're if you're putting a triple in in Vancouver, uh, lower lower mainland, something like that, uh, where uh, I believe it's mostly hydroelectric uh, power, you're you're probably blowing up your emissions, your, your carbon budget on on that. You're you're making it worse. Uh, By and large, I, I'd say, you know? depending on your frame type, absolutely, right? Because yeah. it's it's pretty. If you've got, again, depending on if you've got a kind of standard window frame where it's on the outside, like your frame's getting thicker, right? Yep. And if you're using high intensity materials like aluminum or PVC, PVC is very high body carbon and PVC also has like a host of other environmental issues that come along with it. Uh, and you do not need to tell anybody in East Palestine, Ohio right now what the issues are with PVC. Hmm. Uh, you know, these, you know, that you're just adding more mass, right? And I think like the you know, the title of the lecture I give is less is less. Like we, we got to think about sufficiency, not sustainability. Like what is the most sufficient way of achieving uh, a, a thing? And it's, again, the pendulum has swung so far on operational thinking, like in British Columbia, uh, and that, but it's sung, it's it, that, that the embodied part, I think has to help it swing back. Yeah. And then they'll, they'll, they'll combine. They'll and meet so in a space. Yeah. 
the, the, the code that I've seen that's the most progressive in the world is out of Denmark. It's a whole life carbon code. And it basically, uh, it's maximum is saying you can emit, your building can emit 12 kilograms per every meter per year over 50 years, whole life, right? And so that basically means per meter it's 600 grams emissions over a 50 year period. And they don't tell you how to get there because there's multiple ways to get there, right? Um, and I think that that's where it opens. It's a perfect constraint to open it up to creativity because you can begin to look at how, what, what type and how much insulation, what type and how big are the windows? Uh, how do I deal with orientation? How do I deal with so solar heat gain? How do I deal with shading? Like all of the things that are unique to a place. Um, and that also was tied to the grid you sit on, right? So that, that whole life uh, that's where we need to get to right away, because as long as we keep kind of beholden to these energy codes that are, you know, basically resulting in us putting more and more and more metal and foam on our buildings, the more we're exacerbating the problem. We're not mitigating. We are putting gasoline on the fire. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I love that point, and I agree. I, I agree. I think I, I think that would that would be the way to do it because it would it would, and and you know what? Even selfishly on our on our industry side. That opens up the floodgates. I, I, I mean, now, now you've got you've got arenas for competition. You've got arenas for different products. You've got arenas for 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 different offerings uh, uh, in different areas. Uh, it 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 actually creates a a, a nice dynamic, uh, in, in my opinion. Uh, if if you just say, look, this is the endpoint, and 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 you help your you help your clients get to uh, get to get to where they need to go, and 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 do your best to do that. Um, just focusing back a little bit, one of the things I had, um, um, does the recyclability, like, like aluminum is theoretically fairly recyclable. Uh, does that help at all? Yeah, it, hypothetically, but I think we, we're, we don't do it though. Know, we use, we, <laughs> we consume more than, you know, we're, there's not a fully circular economy of aluminum, uh, yeah. you know, that we continue to mine it because we continue to need raw aluminum, yeah. uh, and so, you know, no, I mean, can it, can it supply the, you know, is there enough recycled aluminum to feed the supply? No, there's not evidently. Um, and the other thing about aluminum, I was just barbecuing the other night, wrap my, you know, ribs in aluminum foil, put them on the barbecue. And I was just like kind of looking at it, like, what am I doing? Yeah. Cause um, it's going in the garbage. <laughs> by and large. And this it is like, the, like, like the carbon of the aluminum foil was much greater than the pork ribs I was, you know, <laughs> uh, smoking. Um, and I was just kind of thinking like, what are our forefathers would have been thinking about me right now? Like I'm basically gonna throw away an incredible resource here to like, for ribs, what am I doing? You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't know. We've got the more I look at it. like metals and the throwaway culture of aluminum, like that's not going into recycling. That's ending up in a landfill. Yeah. Likewise, so many of the aluminum cans, like, I, I'm really interested in aluminum right now because of just how pervasive it is uh, across, you know, everything in our life. I keep thinking about the first time I got a Brett Hall Easton aluminum hockey stick um, and like what a big deal that was at that yeah. point, you know, like like this as a material that's kind of in our life. Um, yeah. And yet I don't think really people really appreciate it like how rare it would have been a hundred years ago to have anything made out of aluminum because of how energy intensive it is. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, I guess, unfortunately for the environment, it's, it's, it's light, 
it's uh it's 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 great great uh, uh great thermal resistance properties uh yep. you know but well we all know that we all it's know it's an that. amazing metal for it's an amazing, amazing metal. for a host of reasons it's really hard yeah. to make yeah uh yeah and should we be using it for every part of our building probably not no. probably 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 no. probably 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 not maybe maybe not and 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 all 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 my listeners are going to have to be ready for uh for you know the the regulations saying you you can't or you won't you won't be able to if you yeah, and it's like it's not uh, i'm not saying don't use aluminum i'm saying you know like all like a wagyu steak like wagyu let's steak. use it in moderation yeah yeah the steak the steak calculation um yeah. what about um the 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 mining and the smelting is uh, is 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 a big deal. The transportation is a big deal. Uh, how helpful would it be if, let's say, you were able to source a lot more of aluminum uh, that was smelted in? They do some bauxite mining in Quebec, do they not? Um, Historically, not much anymore. Not, not much that, anymore. That's where the that's where the the big new, yeah, that's where the hope is a really low carbon aluminum because it's basically operating in the province of Quebec, right? Tell, so tell this, me about that. Low carbon. Okay, so this, if there's like one map you should understand the world by, it's it's like the map of electrical generation. Uh, and so back to this discussion of like the gigawatts of uh, the kilowatt hour between Alberta and Ontario. So Quebec's got pretty much the greenest power in Canada. Um, Ontario's not, not far behind. Manitoba's right there. British Columbia's right there. Why? Primarily hydroelectric, right? I mean, there there is there is an embodied carbon footprint of hydro. Um, certainly, the construction of all those dams and the transmissions. But um, basically, now these provinces have are are you know living uh, relatively green based on a previous generation's investment in these forms of electricity, right? So as long as Ontario keeps up funding nuclear power and a bit of hydro and the wind that power us, we're going to be fine. Um, and so what does this mean for a Canadian producer relative to the United States? And I, I think I brought this map up in the presentation, Patrick, but it's if you just like for listeners, like go Google electricity maps and you'll see the one that kind of gives a live reading of, of the world's power. And you'll see that, you know, basically Canadian provinces are very green relative to most of the world, right? And same like Iceland has thermal power or geothermal. They have a big aluminum uh, refinery in Iceland for this reason, right? Um, the one in Quebec that sits on a Quebec cog a grid, if you're, if basically, if you're processing aluminum there compared to China, it's gonna be much lower carbon because of that difference of the grid it sits on, right? So what, what does this mean for Canadian manufacturers and producers? As embodied carbon becomes uh, regulated, this is an enormous advantage for Canadian manufacturing. Um, specifically Ontario and Quebec and Manitoba and BC, where we have got green power. Because it basically means from day one, simply by your fabrication or your setup being on this grid power, your embodied carbon will be less that than New York State or Michigan or Ohio or basically any state right now. Um, so this, in my mind, you know, getting policies passed quickly across Canada, certainly Ontario, where my focus has been so far, will position our manufacturing sector to really uh, take advantage in this kind of push to decarbonize the, the, the industry and get ahead on it. We, we invented flyform concrete, we invented window wall, and I imagine we're going to invent the envelope solutions of tomorrow. Um, uh, and, and we stand to benefit enormously economically as a, as a result. And get those, get those aluminum smelters uh, approved uh, in, in Canada. 
uh, right? Yeah, in, in well, Canada, I think Quebec yeah, and Ontario, in, and you know, make sure in that Quebec. not in Canada, but where in Canada? Quebec, yes. Quebec. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Sorry, exactly. Quebec. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Not, not, yeah. not so much Alberta. Uh, no, not right now. I mean, I think uh, yeah. this, when I speak to Albertans, they're like, "Yeah, we recognize this." You know, we're for the mass timber folks based in in Alberta. Yeah. You know, they're looking at doing things like getting their facilities fully on solar because they recognize this as an issue, right? And I think politically yeah. too, this is. These are the kind of imperatives that you would put out there to help push the move towards decarbonizing our grid completely. Um, tell me a bit. Tell me a bit about uh, wood. I often hear um, that somehow wood ends up being a net positive, but I'm not really sure how that works. Uh, yeah. it, it, is that because you're calculating what the tree sucked in while it was growing? Yeah. Well, the, so the, the the you know the wood. There's a lot of discussion around this. Canada's forestry industry as as a total is net negative it emits more than it sequesters right now um okay. and that you know would we the 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 second year of the half studio of t we looked at mass timber projects and we looked at buildings in uh toronto buildings in in washington state oregon and the uk and in sweden mm -hmm. and the sources of all those projects would was like far and wide you know uh all over and it was the you know, a tree is not a tree. A tree really depends on what kind of tree it is and what forest it sits in and what type of forestry practice it's harvested in. Um, and so those, you know, it's not a, there's no such thing as wood, I would say, right? It's a very, it's, it depends. Um, and I think wood as a, as a, as a potential sequestering resource, like you know, wood, you know, was built out of carbon. And so there's the hope of, you know, basically a lot of attention towards timber rightfully so we're a country covered in you know in a lot of wood when it's not burning um and by harvesting it sustainably and putting it into buildings you're basically it's 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 storing that co2 in your building as long as it's it's there right so right. Uh, this is the argument for a kind of you know uh, a carbon negative material um and i i personally i think like depends all of these things it really depends you need to do the kind of analysis to to look into it but uh, certain certain woods in certain parts of the country, you could claim to be like that's going to be a long term uh, sustainable, you know, sustainably harvested resource, and it would be a great window frame, like the ones in my cottage. You know, yeah. as long as that cottage is standing there, that that frame is is much better from an embodied carbon perspective than had I gone with a PVC one. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so the family, I think the family of framing materials we've historically used, like if you're to rank them. You know, like aluminum is the most in intensive PVCs right there, but then like fiberglass and wood are low, right? And I think okay. that, um, you know, the advice we've been giving recently is like, uh, there's a few fiberglass mullion companies that are competing with aluminum mullions for, you know, large commercial glazing, right? This is, and, and fiberglass is a material that's, you know, not nearly as difficult to extract. It could be fabricated certainly more locally, potentially. Um, uh, I think that there's, the, the materials which we will make frames out of in the future, I'm, a few of them I'm sure don't exist right now that, that require us to kind of start doing much more investment in R&D uh, into the kind of hybrid materials that we could be using that would take advantage of like other waste streams too. I think like, uh, you know, aluminum can be recycled as long as it's detailed in a way and not, um, you know, not treated uh, in, in certain ways or painted to make it prohibitive to recycle in the future. Yeah. Um, so I think this is the other piece of it is, you know, design for disassembly, don't design for landfill. 
um, understand that at some point that, you know, this window will be taken apart. Make it easy to be, you know, make it easy to be taken apart. Don't make it impossible. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to, th thanks for going to fiberglass. I, I was, I was, I was going to ask about that too. And that's, that's okay. That's, that's interesting to me that it's a, that it's a fairly low, uh, it's a fairly low impact, uh, a fairly low impact product. And yeah, there's been a lot of good things done uh, uh, lately. Uh, fiberglass unitized curtain wall uh, available yeah. now uh, at a couple of manufacturers. So exactly. that, uh, yeah, that really works. That really works well. So that's, that's another, that's another possible uh, mitigation strategy. Um, so Give to me the well. Let, let's let's let, let's stay on the mitigation. Let's stay on the mitigation strategies. What 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 do you see as as um, what needs to happen to get to that midpoint that we're that that we're talking about, where the operational carbon and the and the and the embodied carbon have been uh, considered holistically. And, yeah. and, and, and what, what's that building of the future going to look like where you've, you've done as much as you can to, uh, to, to, to resolve that tension and, 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 and come to the middle, what materials are we using? How are we, how are we getting at that? Yeah. Okay. Well, it depends clearly where, you know, where what you climate are. you're yeah. in, what group you're in. Mm -hmm. Let's just kind of control this conversation for say Toronto right now. Yeah. Um, so the you know the first the first kind of thing is is do you need a new building at all right right uh, how do we how do we reuse the building stock we already have I I would argue in North America we have way more floor area than we need per person so the first challenge is making do with what we already have and that includes making do with the windows we already have right um, how do we harvest the windows that already exist and and reuse them and I think if I looked at the the windows that have been put on Toronto buildings in the last 30, 40 years, there is going to be a lot of work in the future reglazing buildings. Uh, you know, yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the, let's say a lot of the window wall that went up in the 90s boom of condos, it's up for life. And I think there's a huge opportunity here to be thinking about how do we uh, reclad buildings, right? Um, I think there's a ton of work there. And then all the new buildings. So do we need a new building at all? And do we need new materials at all? That's the first possession but then once you're past that okay we need a new building make it as small as possible i think we're seeing definitely seeing the size of like on residential units are getting smaller and smaller that's beneficial but then take that same logic to the facade back to what is the right window to wall ratio do you need a hundred percent floor to ceiling windows you don't no no one does right uh i think that solving for that that's not saying I'm not disincentivizing or reducing glazing aluminum because we need more of it. Like there's the, we have Toronto will be two, three times the size it is right now in a few decades based on migration. Right. right. So we need to have all that. We need that reserve of materials to build the future. We can't just blow it all right now. Mm -hmm. So if we saw that long game of, okay, we're going to reduce a glazing across all buildings, that's going to help, reduce immediate, you know, it's going to mitigate emissions right now and in the future. And then we've got more material to keep building the housing and the buildings that we're going to need for future generations. Like it's, I think a kind of longer game strategy here would, would benefit everybody um, because we're all, anybody in construction in this part of the world above, above sea level around the Great Lake, we're going to be in business for a while. That's for sure. Um, the rate of migration we're seeing right now is, 
you know, only going to escalate. Um, I mean, that's, I, I would say that's pretty factual. So it's a good time to be in construction, but we need to be doing it, I think, in a, in, in, in a kind of larger, more strategic, more holistic way. Yeah. So while I'm sitting at Facades Plus and, and a lot of this discussion was, 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 was going on, um and uh and uh not, not so much you but some of the some of the other presenters were uh were 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 getting fairly ferocious about glass and aluminum and and it's and it's it's the horrors of using it as a building material um <laughs> my <laughs> my 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 the thing that kept popping into my head was isn't it you guys that are specifying this stuff <laughs> I, i'm in an architect's conference <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm hearing, I'm hearing, I'm hearing a lot of, I'm hearing a lot of upset about it. So the question to you is, the question to you is, the feasibility, the practicality, the given the hard realities of life and cost and building, and 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 what what consumers demand, what real estate, what what property owners demand, uh, what what the corporations that that build and run these buildings uh, demand and are asking for. Uh, give me your assessment of how likely it is that the architecture community, uh, very interested in it, well, not not very interested, passionately engaged with the environmental questions, but are they going to be able to? Will do they want to move in that direction? Uh, of of as you say, smaller window to wall ratios, less glass and aluminum. How feasible do you think this project is as a whole? Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I guess there's, I might answer that, you know, we're, we're all part of one uh, um, system, I would say, right. Mm -hmm. Manufacturing, finance, development, the marketing, the end buyer, the AEC community, we're all part of part of one system and it, it lives and breathes. It has a certain behavior that evolves over time. Right. Okay. You know, buildings built right now look very different than the ones that even built like 20 years ago and 20 years before that, right? So there's constant evolution in this. And I think like what, you know, uh, conversation I had with one glazer around this or developer was like, you know, who we really need to talk to are the marketing teams <laughs> because they're the ones creating the image that ultimately is then what gets sold to the developer then it dictates all these things, right? It's like, what's the image of the house that is even being created? Right. Right. So it's I, I think my answer is it's not the architect or the manufacturer or the supplier's problem to solve. It's all of our problem to solve. Right. Mm -hmm. And it takes a kind of collective like, all right, recognize where we are right now. Where do we need to get to? And what are the things that need to happen to get there? Right. Um, I think that that's kind of critical, a larger economic strategy, industrial strategy for this decision. And I was um, talking to a friend recently about, you know, uh, Haussmann in Paris. And if you're familiar, you know, basically the, the complete redevelopment and redesign of Paris under Haussmann, new avenues, new districts. And, and I think the thing that I hadn't appreciated, most people didn't understand is like most of Paris was privately developed under Haussmann. He basically set the kind of outline of the buildings and the avenues and the streets but they also critically set up the industry to support the kind of uh, implementation of that general, uh, say, building aesthetic. Like 
they they figured out the they had a template for the wrought iron people they had a template for the masons for the stone carvers for the like timber industry they they aligned a lot of the supply chain to be able to execute the kind of houseman's paris like really intentional and in, uh, industrial kind of policy here what would that mean for canada right um i think that that is the kind of conversation i would really hope to have and and later this fall i'm working to organize something in in boston that's looking at you know the future of bio-based materials in the northeast and this is looking at things like compressed straw panels right mm -hmm. uh different ways of getting wood and renewable materials so straw and hemp and all the cellulose, wood fiber, all the other things that aren't construction grade lumber, things we grow, things we used to build out of, things we used to insulate our houses with. How do we get these materials back into our supply chain at a scale capable of, of meeting demand? Um, so putting together a workshop later this fall, bringing together manufacturing, regulation, the design community, the development community to think about what are the things currently, what are the barriers in the way and, and what kind of, what are the next moves we need to make to make this a reality because there's like producers on a one and like we have this stuff and there's us like well we really want to use your product but we need to get through all the like fire regulation all that kind of stuff that's costly and time consuming how do we do this right what's the kind of larger strategy what's the role of government what's the role of trade associations and i'd say the same to like you know canada's glaziers or or, or when you know uh window and facade companies um you know i've got friends that own you know, Fergus or Neuro of Glass in in, uh, in St. Catharines, a good friend of mine's, you know, family business. They started out making wood windows and now they're making curtain wall, right? Um, I think that if you even think about how companies over time have changed what they're doing, they're going to continue to change. And if we looked at this holistically, if we brought together that association says, okay, we're here right now, we're going over here. What are the materials of tomorrow? How do we start investing in the kind of R&D uh, what kind of support do we need? What kind of policies do we need to move in that direction? Um, we're still going to have glass on buildings. We're still going to have aluminum on buildings. Um, but what else is in it, right? And mm -hmm. I think like putting these materials in the places they're most required uh, is like, you know, that's that's critical. I mean, the, the lowest carbon building we looked at at half from a, from a facade perspective was the brand new black and white building in London, which is a internal... Um, I think it's an LVL mullion uh, on the outside, and then it's got an aluminum cap on the outside, right? So, you know, for obvious reasons. So it's like looking at hybrid systems too, yeah. uh, creating the right family of solutions here and not just defaulting to kind of a single material class. I think that that is ultimately where I imagine we go. Um, and it takes it takes all parts of the system kind of coming together to figure that out. And And again, I think it'd be a very exciting conversation because of knowing how large and powerful the glass industry is in in Ontario. It it hires thousands of people, right? Like, and I'm I I would say like my message is like we're not gonna we don't, we don't want to put you out of work. We want to work with you. Like, let's get everybody to figure out how this is a complete transformation of the industry and its you know including its workforce. Like, what are the skills it needs? How and does, I, how and do your I supply think, chains change? How do your factory floors need to change? Yeah. Um, these are the questions, right? And no different than what's happening with automotive right now in some ways. So those those are the questions. And that, and that's why we're having this discussion, because I think it's time for 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 people listening to this 
to 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 start thinking uh, about some of this stuff. I'm 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 trying to I'm trying to get the get the mental the mental gears rolling a little bit on uh, yeah. on 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 some of this stuff because it is coming. Speaking of coming, um, it, it, you're and I didn't know this that, that that you were involved in some of these policy discussions. Um, what, what, what's your, give me the, give me the, uh, give me the inside scoop. Give me the advanced, uh, uh, knowledge. <laughs> what, what, what do you see? What do you see coming as far as, uh, as far as, uh, uh federal provincial policies, whatever you want to address? Uh, well, yeah, in- obviously co- co-authored with the city of Toronto means that city buildings will start and future all buildings in Toronto we have maximum embodied carbon targets on a square meter basis. So you need to do life cycle assessment and those targets will ratchet down. The next step with that is to do a harmonization, as I mentioned, with the embodied and the operational. Yep. Uh, that, that's coming down the road. Um, at the federal level, so that means if you're doing any work with the city of Toronto right now, they're going to look at it. And if you're there, you know, if you supply their buildings, good time to go out and get an EPD, right? Right. Um, at the federal level, very similar policies, uh, similar to what the United States has done through the Buy Clean Act and different states are doing it. The, it's happening pretty quickly. You can begin to see where these policies are starting to enact it. Like the, uh, the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States, there's a huge portion of money for American manufacturers to produce EPDs, environmental product declarations, which are the things that basically will help you declare how much embodied carbon your material has. It looks at your own supply chains. Yep. So there's federal funding in the United States to do this. Um, if, you know, if any listeners in the U S there's money there for you, do it. Federal government in Canada, uh, they're very similar federal procurement policies coming on board. I'm chatting with the national resources, national research, Canada, to how we begin to harmonize some of the stuff across the country. The city of Vancouver was the first city of Toronto. Second, and I expect dominoes to fall across the country as like this, people start waking up to this. So, you know, my message to anybody listening is like, it's it's time just to start looking. And I think, you know, as an architect, you know, asking my friend John again, a loan for an EPD, first time he'd been asked it, but my message to architects is like, keep asking, because if enough of them are asking, they're going to go and do it. Or if we require them to do it, you know, that better, or if they're doing it on their own volition, even better, Right. Because uh, if manufacturing begins to do EPD, it'll look at its supply chain, your own throughputs, and where you could make decisions that are lower carbon, both in your own processes, but also your suppliers, right? Like, hey, I can, why don't we source aluminum from that smelter in Quebec or Iceland instead of the stuff from China? It might be more expensive, but it's going to reduce my product, right? Yeah. Um, it will help us move the market towards lower carbon solutions. And I think that that, like, that's... That's the hope. That's the kind of systemic change we need, um, you know, right now. And uh, I guess just to finish, I was at the United Nations on Tuesday representing Architecture 2030, who I'm a, a fellow of. It's the first high-level uh, meeting on decarbonizing the built environment. That was the title of the meeting. And there's like two couple people that's kind of their, what they said stuck out. And one was Selwyn Hart, who's the he's the deputy to Antonio Gutierrez on, on climate change. And he was the sense of urgency. I mean, he was the ambassador of uh, Barbados, the United States, and you know his the sense of urgency for him was like this is existential for you know him and his country. Yeah. Um, the, the the need to act, and then um, this uh, this gentleman from the Government Services uh, Administration in the United States that oversees all federal buildings. Buildings, you know, it's like we need to do every building everywhere all at once. Um, you know, there's not we're living through you know my. 
you know, back in Toronto right now. And everybody's like, this is the hottest I can ever remember. You know, and as I tell my son, this will be the hottest, this will be the coldest summer of the rest of your life. Uh, you know, is for me, it's, you know, why I'm eager to talk to anybody and evangelical about this is because we have to do something. We can't just, you know, oh, it's more expensive. That's not a good enough answer anymore. Like it's, there's, we need to be thinking, you know, much, much further down about how we change what we're doing because the way we're doing it right now is completely unsustainable. I saw wildfire smoke in London, Ontario for the first time in my entire life of 50 years of living here. Uh, I, I don't know if that has anything to do with climate change or not, but they say it does. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, you know, well, right, anyway, so that's not a debate. It certainly does. Yeah, yeah. They obviously had it. They obviously had a huge, they obviously had fires in Quebec that in areas where they had never had them before in order for the smoke to get down here. So that's, yeah. uh, that's something else. Um, the, I think the goal, I think the aspirational goal coming out of the, uh, NRC was, uh, carbon, carbon neutral, not, not, uh, net zero, but carbon neutral by 2050. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that's, that's where they're trying to get the, um, at least the new build uh, regulations to uh, uh, down down the road, right? Does, is that what you're hearing too? Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's the whole IPCC target is net zero 2050. Uh, I've been, you know, half was named half because we need to, to get there, we need to half the emissions by 2030 when I started in 2020, this oh. decade, the one we've got, you know, six and a half years left on. Uh, because those 2050 targets, like they don't mean anything if we don't deal with right now right and we're we're nowhere close to meeting that half emission target right now that's no. a fact no uh and but you know we need to work towards it i think zero is aspirational half is reachable if you just tried i'm mindful of your time here kelly um let's um uh let's dial it let's let's finish up uh uh getting it right down to the brass tacks for 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 our listeners um, if you are a glazing contractor, if you are a glass fabricator uh, uh, in Canada, you're looking uh, ahead at, uh, at at the coming uh, embodied carbon regime. Uh, what should you be doing uh, uh, right now in your business uh, to be ready for the changes that are going to come? Yeah, great. First, get literate. Uh, understand the issue. Look into it. Understand what embodied carbon is, whole life carbon uh, across your entire team right? What's the issue? The second is then look in your own processes, get an EPD done. They're not cost prohibitive. Um, go through the process to understand the impact of your own product, right? Uh, third, get together. We need to like, this is not about competitive advantage. This is about cooperation uh, to figure out how we're all going to change. And so through associations, through conferencing, uh, I think getting together and having discussions about what's possible um, and how collectively we can be doing this is critical. Um, mm -hmm. And then fourth is to take action. You know, I think figure out what those next steps are. Uh, what is it we can do this year, next year, five years? How do you have the emissions of your windows, right? Um, uh, that would be that would be my advice. And, you know, please reach out to me. I'm here to talk to you. Uh, as I said, I've somehow found I feel evangelical about this. I'm happy to talk to anybody about it because it's, you know, a building represents uh, thousands of times more emissions than your diet does. If you're in the construction industry, you know, my own cottage represents 92 tons of emissions. That's the equivalent of me driving a car for 92 years. And that's just a small cottage in the woods. Wow. Um, wow. You know, a large building 
is an enormous, enormous contribution to uh, uh, global warming. So I'd say if you can do just a little bit, you know, in your window, uh, you can eat Wagyu beef every day of your life and feel fine. Um, maybe not physically, but from a climate perspective, uh, because the, 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 I think our ability to impact change in construction proportionate to other disciplines, other professions uh, is, is, is extraordinary. And that's why I'm, I'm here to talk to y'all. That is a red hot offer, folks. Uh, and uh, mm -hmm. Kelly is about to uh, uh, transmit some contact information uh, to you that uh, that that you can that you can use to reach out to him, and 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 then and then go and guide your R and D team because uh, because my my the the, the thing I'm trying to uh, uh, think of is 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 if you're is if you're hearing this and you're saying, well, I got to figure out what my product development looks like going forward. Uh, I'm going to be looking, and Kelly, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I'm going to be looking at things like like where my stuff comes from. I'm going to be looking at things like how do I make things lighter with less material. Uh, I'm going to be possibly looking at alternative materials. What can I do with uh, uh, maybe mass timber? Uh, what can I do with fiberglass? Uh, what can I do with uh, uh, it, sourcing things differently? Spacer? Uh, uh, can I can I can I get spacer in North America? um uh this 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 the, this sort of thing so so that's right kelly i mean i mean that, that that's that's the are, are those the areas you would direct people in absolutely that's that's the start just start yeah get literate and start looking in your own backyard for absolutely for, yeah, that's do, it i think that's that's the starting point and where do people find yeah where, let's, let's, yeah where do people uh, yeah find so find kelly me, Doran? You, you can yeah. find me find me on linkedin or half climate design is half climate uh, and you can contact us there and, uh, please look forward to hearing from you. And just so you know, in the, in the great tradition of architects everywhere, they do not spell half normally. He's got half with a slash in the middle instead of an L, uh, on the website, on the website, it's with an L. Oh, oh it's the, with an L. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's yeah, H A H A L F. Uh, dot, yeah. dot, the slash is obviously a, a reference to the fraction <laughs> one over two. So that's, that's. Um, that's right. Yeah. You, you're the you're the editor's nightmare everywhere. You architects, I can tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah. But it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a pretty cool logo, and uh, and uh, that's uh, you guys have an opportunity there uh, to to reach out to Kelly and pick his brain if you want to. Kelly Doran, uh, half uh, research studio. Um, I want to thank you very much for joining me on Glass Talk, and uh, what a great conversation! And uh, I, I feel like we've scratched the surface, but uh, uh, there's there's obviously uh, a, a ton of learning and, and and education for everybody to get involved in out there. So thanks very much. Thank you. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to Glass Talk. You can find this episode at glasscanadamag.com or on the major podcasting services. Glass Talk is a presentation of Glass Canada Magazine and Annex Business Media.